Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations and metrics and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. Today, we have a somewhat of a serial entrepreneur joining us, built and sold two agencies, and is particularly interested in productized services, is the author over at productized.services, born and raised in Colorado, and now living in Medellin, Colombia, which if you're a Narcos fan like me, you're probably terrified of that place, even though I'm sure it's really beautiful. Uh, and today is the founder of tinywords.co, and here to unpack productized services, experience going through acquisition, and all kinds of other stuff. I'm really excited to have you on the show, Tyler Gillespie. Dude, thanks so much for having me, man. I am pleased to have you here, and I'm really interested in what we're going to talk about today. I've given everyone a little context on you, but um, before we get into the meat of it, I'll give you an opportunity to describe what you do in your own words. Yeah, I mean, I've done quite a few different things over the years, um, but recently, you know, like you had mentioned, built and sold a couple different agencies and realized um, how important productizing was. So I spent really the last year or so um, just doing consulting and helping other agency owners um, better package up um, what they do, better sell on outcomes and fixed deliverables rather than hours, um, essentially packaging up and productizing um, their services. Um, and really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then just until recently, I was just telling you that we I kind of scaled back the consulting and now focused on actually building something again. So um, really, really excited about that. I think having a connection to you know, not only teaching, but doing is really important. So that was something that I've been uh, craving for a little while. Awesome. And so just to fill in the backstory a little bit, what got you into starting your first agency? How did you find yourself in that position? Yeah, so I think it's interesting because when I go way, way back, uh, you know, I was, I was actually always involved in service businesses. My family owned more brick and mortar service businesses in real estate, whether it was property management, uh, vacation rentals, uh, these types of home maintenance. Uh, so I was always involved with that model. And then I eventually transitioned online doing more marketing, et cetera, and really started my first uh, agency. It's probably, man, I want to say, you know, 2008 to 2010, it was in doing uh, vacation rental marketing um, in Colorado. Um, and I guess that would be considered kind of the first agency. We were just doing kind of an arbitrage player. You know, we would handle all the marketing, partner with these, you know, wealthy homeowners. And then any bookings we got, they would give us a commission uh, based on that booking. Um, so that was really kind of the first dabble in the taste of, you know, I guess an agency. And then um, after that, um, did some traveling and really wanted to create something that was uh, more disconnected from location. Uh, so that was a big part of like my criteria. You know, where could I can I travel and can I do this from anywhere? So that kind of was a huge step because all I knew before that was you know running these service based businesses and uh, my agency at the time, but it was very geography based and you know um, restricted on 
that specific location where, you know, where I grew up and lived in Colorado. Uh, so I really had to kind of reinvent and that's when we kind of started um, more of a full service agency at the beginning. Um, and that was with a buddy of mine, actually. Um, we had started from a cafe here in Columbia. Um, so that was uh, about eight years ago um, was that agency, or actually a little longer, it was like 2013 um, was uh, when we kind of started that agency. And so what was that journey like? So you, you would go on to uh, actually sell that agency. So what was that transition like from moving into a more productized service, having that kind of unlock the business and then eventually leading you to a place where you were able to exit? Yeah, so I think it was like right before this, uh, right before Christmas is when I finished reading Built to Sell for the third time and was like, cool, going into the new year, like we're cutting everything we're saying no to everything and we're going to actually productize this. So we looked at, you know, cool, what were the most profitable things that we were doing? What had like the least amount of like uh, customer headaches? Um, what was like the funnest to fulfill and somewhat the easiest to fulfill? And we ended up just kind of, we whittled it down to like two things. One was like email copywriting and then uh, blog posts and articles and ended up, we ended up going with blog posts. Um, and articles. So we kind of just stopped doing everything from funnels to websites, to landing pages, to copywriting, to design. We just literally stripped away everything. And it took, you know, saying no to quite a few customers and, you know, pretty, pretty much doubled down on content writing. And from that point, going into that new year for the next two years, it was literally, we just essentially had a kind of a productized offering. Um, there wasn't too much, like, I don't even know if we knew like that was the, the, you know, the wording of what to call it. It was just a very fixed offering. Um, we, we were just very diligent on saying no to everything that didn't fit into that. Um, so for about a couple of years, we built that up, um, ended up building a team of like over 120 writers. And, um, you know, it was about that time when, uh, my partner actually at the time, you know, mentioned, Hey, like, you know, I, I don't know if you're open to selling this, but like maybe we should explore that opportunity. Um, so um, that's when we actually started kind of going through some of the steps to um, see what it could even look like selling it. You know, I don't think either of us even knew at the time if it could be sold, to be honest. Um, but um, that's kind of was the journey of us kind of building and, and focusing on the, on the content writing. So I just want to take a moment to double click on some things because like your acquisition, your first acquisition experience was certainly unconventional, unconventional from a timeline perspective, unconventional from a deal flow perspective, yep. um, like clearly unconventional in a lot of ways. But I think you highlighted that there were a lot of things in the business that set you up for that kind of response when you listed it. And you spoke about the systems and the processes and the fact that you, the business was running without you. And we've done several episodes in the past with brokers and M&A experts, and a lot of them have talked about this, but I think this is a really great example of that actually in practice having a massive impact on your ability to get a deal done, not only fast, but with high competitive leverage, which I'm assuming pushed you to a really good multiple. Also, amazing terms. The fact that you had an all-cash offer with no earnout that is very unconventional. Yep. Most of the time for everyone listening, like you're not getting all cash up front. You're usually getting a bunch of that in company stock in the company that's acquiring you. And then you've got to stick around for two, three, four years to earn that and help the transition. So like there are a lot of things that were exceptional about that acquisition, but I think you created that circumstance 
to your point, because the business was buttoned up in all the other ways around just the P&L um, that it was being run. And I think that's a really important thing to call out. Yeah, no, that's 100% on point. And looking back, there was a lot of things that we did, whether intentionally or not, but like things next now in my, the, the next startup I started and then people that I work with, it's like, listen, keep these things top of mind. Like for us, like we had, you know, very low churn um, comparatively for an agency type business. And it was, you know, mainly because we productized so well, you know, we were out of the business, you know, an hour or two a month is, you know, pretty much, you know, we're off hands off. We had a great team in place that was running the entire thing for us. They went with the business. So the owners like this is these are things like a buyer investor wants to see. We had, you know, a three year track record. Um, you know, we had very decent, I believe, you know, gross profit margins. So like we had a lot of things working in our favor there that um, a lot of uh, agencies and service businesses like they couldn't check a lot of those boxes off, which is what leads to lower multiples and earnouts um, and uh, not cash up front, right? And so moving on from there, you sell the business. Um, I'm assuming you have some kind of like quarter life or existential crisis because you don't know what to do with yourself anymore. And then naturally you go back and start <laughs> another business. Um, and yeah. I'm curious, like what were the learnings that you got from the first business that you applied to the second one? And how did that impact the velocity or the growth of that second business? Yeah, so learnings, I mean, there might be an interesting one I'll throw at you. Um, you know, selling the business was awesome. The experience definitely like, you know, decent amount, you know, not a life changing amount of money, but, you know, a very good amount of cash, you know, that kind of bankrolls, you know, next your next chess moves. But looking back, you know, if I was going to do it again, I probably would have just bought my partner out. I think it's mm. um, one thing to kind of keep top of mind is like it's uh, there's a reason why people buy cash flowing assets um, because they're very hard to start. <laughs> Um, from zero. So yeah. um, I thought uh, that would have been a lot easier to do. Um, so I think that was like one learning for sure. It's like, you know, what do they say? Like rich people sell assets, wealthy people accumulate them. Yeah. Um, so that was like one of the learnings. If I was going to go back, I probably would have actually just kept the business because it was uh, honestly one hour a month and was cash flowing like crazy. Like, yeah. Um, so but you know, it was it was a great learning experience. So that was like one thing I think to consider if you have an agency or a listener has an agency and they want to sell, you know, like maybe just kind of looking at that a little bit more and hmm. um, you know, especially if you've got a good cash flowing machine kind of going. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to paraquito.com forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Well, um, and I think I, I want to pause on that for a moment because it's a really, really great point. And, you know, I recently read the book uh, Buy Then Build um, by Walker mm. Diebel, which is a great book. And he makes a really yeah. great data backed case 
that's real. And I know this because, you know, I myself as an entrepreneur, I'm in the agency space. I'm also in the SaaS space where this is even more real. The risk around yeah. product market fit is substantial, no matter how competent you are as an entrepreneur. Like, it can take you years to just really figure out the nuances of product market fit, even if you have a, a clear problem that's dramatically underserved. And this is our story at Parakeeto. Like, I, I won't let anybody tell me that my co-founder, Ben, and I are not extremely smart, competent entrepreneurs. I know we are, <laughs> but it still took us three years to find product market fit, and they were painful years. And then once you find it, the growth is astronomical. And I think this is probably the same thing that you ran into with kind of getting into productization. It probably wasn't an overnight success, but once you started to find product market fit, then things accelerated dramatically. And so, you know, Austin makes a good case in that book for like, if you just look at the stats, if you can purchase a business that's already got product market fit, you circumvent the majority of the risk that gets lumped into all the statistics you hear yeah. about entrepreneurship where like 98% of people fail. It's like, well, actually, when you just trim away that bottom 90% of businesses that never make it past you know, even just like mid six figure revenue and have actually got some semblance of product market fit, the failure rates are substantially lower. So I think you make a great point where it's mm -hmm. like selling is sexy. It's a, it's a great end to the story. It's, you know, a badge of honor that entrepreneurs want. And the idea of getting a big check and being able to chill is nice. But if the long-term vision is to um, build wealth, then yeah, you, you're right. You might be better off just holding the thing and then optimizing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, like when you have a partner as well, you know, in a business, like there's a little bit more, there's more complexities in like the decisions and like what's happening there. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't regret it in any way, but, you know, looking back, that was definitely like one of the learnings that I had, you know, as I build future businesses, you know, you know, when it comes time to sell, um, you know, really evaluating that a little bit more. Um, I would be willing to bet that because a lot of the same principles that you had in this first business of, you know, having decent systems, um, yeah. having a good process, like made that kind of, a, you know, a colloquial acquisition situation. Like it, it sounds like a really casual thing. And of course, the transaction of that magnitude is never casual, but as casual as it can be, given that there's not all of this additional work that um, you would have had to do to actually make that transition possible and to be able to hand the business off to somebody. Am I incorrect in that assumption, Tyler? No, no, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of, I mean, essentially I've developed some sort of playbook, I guess, but you know, I have an outline of like, cool, here's all the things you need to do if you're going to build a service business that's going to make it attractive for an investor. And like those are that checklist is essentially like what I try to work through um, mm -hmm. as far as like the items that if you do all of these over a period of one, two, three years, your business is going to, the multiple you're going to get on your business is going to be drastically different. So I was able to implement a lot of those things and that obviously made the, the acquisition, I think, that particular acquisition, Sam ended up buying it, rolling in the customers and um, the product into Testimonial Heroes. So he ended up just kind of shutting down or not rolling with the brand, but kind of acquired customers and then my video editors and everything as well. So um, it was kind of, I nice. think, a mix of talent acquisition and um, but he did get some customers and revenue from it, too, I believe. So um, now that we've dangled that carrot, I, well, let's, let's open up that door. What is the checklist in your mind at a high level? <laughs> uh, there, there's quite a few things. Um, I think, um, you know, we can dive into a couple of these uh, and I can kind of run through them if you want. 
Um, there's about sure. 14 of them, so um, I'll I'll jump just rattle off a few that that could be good. So um, first one that you know we look for is what I call the laptop test. So the idea is if you were to close your laptop today, like how long would your business last without you? Um, mm. So an investor, and that's a, like a very important point for an investor because you know if they're going to buy your business, and this is like a huge factor in like what determines if you know, you're going to have a large or long earnout um, because it's a risk, you know, is the, someone going to buy your business and it's going to require a ton of time or they got to hire another operator. But if you have all the systems in place where you could at least close your laptop and it runs through a full month cycle of billing and issues and et cetera. So that 30 day mark, um, you've got a pretty solid uh, business that, um, you know, is going to be really, really attractive to investors. Um, Another one is uh, income diversity. Um, so you'll see a lot of agencies and service businesses like um, not having like a balanced flow of, of, of income where a majority of income might come from, let's say, um, you know, a few whales, um, where if one of those customers leaves, um, that's going to be a huge, um, you know, negative to the business. So an investor looking at that, you know, that's a huge risk. Um, and that might be another reason for them to put a longer earnout, you know, because they want to protect against the downside of, you know, someone who, you know, contributes more than 50% of your revenue or 40% um, ends up leaving. I mean, that drastically changes the, the economics of the business, right? Um, so that's one. Um, let's see here. Um, we talked a little bit about gross margins as well. I mean, I think you, you had mentioned, I think pre-call, you know, if you can be at that 80%, that's like, awesome. And I think it's definitely doable for a lot of service businesses. I kind of put that 60 to 65% gross profit margin rule in. Um, yeah. I mean, honestly, like benchmarking wise, anything South of 50, you're doing pretty good. You're in a position to have a decent EBITDA. Yeah. Um, so that's something to look at. Um, and then I think another one, um, you know, competitive moat, um, team of vested a players, um, there's quite a few here that we can kind of go through, but those are like, you know, and then obviously, you know, I put aged for at least three years. Um, you know, I think that's important too, when investors are looking to buy something like, has it weathered a few storms? Has it been around for a little bit? Um, you see a lot of people building something and flipping stuff very quickly, um, you know, which could, you know, in many cases, just not give it confidence to an investor as well. So, um, but yeah, I, I can also, I can actually include this little checklist um, as a little um, bonus if you want after the episode, you can link in the show notes. There we go. All right, well, yeah, let's do that. We'll have that linked up in the show notes. So if you wanna grab access to that checklist, scroll down. Thank you, Tyler, it's very generous of you. And in summary, it's basically decreasing risk at every turn for the investor ultimately is what is gonna create this um, higher multiple you know, easier due diligence, lower earnout, all of these things. It makes perfect sense. It's, yep. it's all a risk game for the investor at the end of the day. And honestly, yeah, it's what's cool about it is the way I explain it is whether you want to sell or not, if you do all of these things, there's 18 total, like you're going to have a better, more well-oiled uh, machine anyways, whether you want to sell or not. So um, I think that's the way I look at it um, a lot of ways all wonderful advice and stuff that uh, I can I completely agree with stamp of approval um, <laughs> Tyler I would love to chat more but I've got a, a bicycle ride scheduled 
it's just a hey. bit of a random activity in the calendar. So before we wrap up, I want to make sure that you have a chance to talk about your new uh, company that you're starting, because I think it's very interesting, very fascinating, and then make sure that everybody knows where to find you on the internet if they want to consume more of your content and learn more about how you think about business. Uh, so first and foremost, yeah, let's talk a little bit um, about your new company, tinywords.co. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. So essentially, I'm circling back to uh, the concept of creating a content agency productized. Um, it's going to be a little bit more tech enabled, but the idea behind it is um, literally right from Google Chrome, get matched with an industry specific human writer in less than 10 minutes with just one click from Google Chrome to write anything for your, for your business. Um, so that's kind of the, the core concept, um, which I'm pretty excited about um, kind of working on and creating and um, it'll be kind of also in the, in the content writings, uh, uh, space. So if that's interesting, or you want to learn more tinywords.co where we do have a beta list, um, sign up at the moment, um, that you can kind of check out. Um, uh, but that's kind of where focus and energy is kind of going right now. So I'm pretty excited about that. Amazing. So we'll, we'll have that in the show notes. And then for anyone that wants to follow you, Tyler, and consume more of the content that you're creating out into the world, where should they find you? Um, just productized.services. Um, I got a weekly newsletter that I share as well for just helping people who want to productize. Um, and that's free and you can check that out. Yeah, just productized.services. All right. So in the show notes, we'll have a link to tinywords.co, productized.services, and a link to this uh, this nebulous list of uh, checklist items if you want to set your business up to be either sellable or just way more fun to run. Uh, and I'll make sure that uh, the team reaches out, Tyler, and grabs a copy of that. And so we can make sure that uh, there's a link to it in the show notes. So with that, I want to thank you very much for not only uh, coming on for one episode, but what might end up being two and staying late, Tyler, this was a really great conversation. I'm sure our listeners got lots from it and really appreciate you making the time for us. Hey, no problem, man. It was a Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener, and we will see you on the next episode.
pleasure. Thanks so much.